Section 21 of The House Behind the Cedars. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. The House Behind the Cedars by Charles W. Chestnut. Section 21 A Gilded Opportunity. Although the whole fabric of Rena's new life toppled and fell with her lover's defection, her sympathies, broadened by culture and still more by her recent emotional experience, did not shrink, as would have been the case with a more selfish soul, to the mere limits of her personal sorrow, great as this seemed at the moment. She had learned to love, and when the love of one man failed her, she turned to humanity as a stream obstructed in its course overflows the adjacent country. Her early training had not directed her thoughts to the darker people with whose fate her own was bound up so closely, but rather away from them. She had been taught to despise them because they were not so white as she was, and had been slaves while she was free. Her life in her brother's home, by removing her from immediate contact with them, had given her a different point of view, one which emphasized their shortcomings, and thereby made vastly clearer to her the gulf that separated them from the new world in which she lived. So that, when misfortune threw her back upon them, the reaction brought her nearer than before. Where once she had seemed able to escape from them, they were now, it appeared, her inalienable race. Thus doubly equipped, she was able to view them at once with the mental eye of an outsider, and the sympathy of a sister. She could see their faults and judge them charitably. She knew and appreciated their good qualities. With her quickened intelligence, she could perceive how great was their need and how small their opportunity. And with this illumination came the desire to contribute to their help. She had not the breadth or culture to see in all its ramifications the great problem which still puzzles statesmen and philosophers but she was conscious of the wish and of the power in a small way to do something for the advancement of those who had just set their feet upon the ladder of progress this newborn desire to be of service to her rediscovered people was not long without an opportunity for expression yet the fates willed that her future should be but another link in a connected chain she was to be as powerless to put aside her recent past as she had been to escape from the influence of her earlier life. There are sordid souls that eat and drink and breed and die and imagine they have lived, but Rena's life, since her great awakening, had been that of the emotions, and her temperament made of it a continuous life. Her successive states of consciousness were not detachable, but united to form a single, if not an entirely harmonious, whole. To her sensitive spirit, today was born of yesterday. Tomorrow would be but the offspring of today. One day, along toward noon, her mother received a visit from Mary B. Pettifoot, a second cousin who lived on Back Street, only a short distance from the house behind the cedars. Rena had gone out, so that the visitor found Miss Molly alone. I heard you say, Cousin Molly, said Mary B., no one ever knew what the B in Mary's name stood for. It was a mere ornamental flourish. 
that Rena was talking about teaching school. I've got a good chance for her, if she cares to take it. My cousin Jeff Wayne arrived in town this morning from way down in Sampson County to get a teacher for the nigger school in his district. I suppose he might have got one from round Newburn or Goldsboro or some of them places east, but he allowed he'd like to visit some of his kin and old friends and so kill two birds with one stone. I seed a strange mulatto man with a bay horse and a new buggy driving by here this morning early from down towards the river rejoined Miss Molly. I wonder if that was him. Did he have on a linen duster? asked Mary B. Yes, and appeared to be a very well-sought-up man, replied Miss Molly. About thirty-five years old, I should reckon. That was him, assented Mary B. He's got a fine horse and buggy, and a gold watch and chain, and a big plantation, and lots of horses and mules and cows and hogs. He raised fifty bales of cotton last year, and he's been to the legislator. My gracious, exclaimed Miss Molly, struck with awe at this catalogue of the stranger's possessions. He was evidently worth more than a great many rich white people. All white people in North Carolina in those days were either rich or poor, the distinction being one of caste rather than of wealth. Is he mad? she inquired with interest. No, singer. You might lie it was queer that he shouldn't be mad at his age. But he was crossed in love once. Mary B. heaved a self-conscious sigh. and has stayed singer ever since. That was ten years ago. But as some husbands is long-lived, and there ain't no more chance for em now than there was then, I reckon some nice gal might stand a good show of catching em if she'd play her cards right. To Miss Molly this was news of considerable importance. She had not thought a great deal of Rena's plan to teach. She considered it lowering for Rena, after having been white, to go among the negroes any more than was unavoidable. This opportunity, however, meant more than mere employment for her daughter. She had felt Rena's disappointment keenly from the practical point of view, and, blaming herself for it, held herself all the more bound to retrieve the misfortune in any possible way. If she had not been sick, Rena would not have dreamed the fateful dream that had brought her to Patesville. For the connection between the vision and the reality was even closer in Miss Molly's eyes than in Rena's. If the mother had not sent the letter announcing her illness and confirming the dream, Rena would not have ruined her promising future by coming to Patesville but the harm had been done, and she was responsible, ignorantly, of course, but nonetheless truly, and it only remained for her to make amends, as far as possible. Her highest ambition since Rena had grown up had been to see her married and comfortably settled in life. She had no hope that Tryon would come back. Rena had declared that she would make no further effort to get away from her people, and furthermore that she would never marry, to this latter statement, Miss Molly secretly attached but little importance. That a woman should go single from the cradle to the grave did not accord with her experience in life of the customs of North Carolina. She respected a grief she could not entirely fathom, yet did not for a moment believe that Rena would remain unmarried. "'You'd better fetch him round to see me, Mara B,' she said, "'and let's see what he looks like. 
I'm particular about my gal. She says she ain't gonna marry nobody, but of course we know that's all foolishness. I'll fetch him round this evening, about three o'clock, said the visitor, rising. I must hurry back now and keep him company. Tell Rena to put on her best bib and tucker, for Mr. Wayne is particular too, and I've already been bragging by the looks. When Mary B., at the appointed hour, knocked at Miss Molly's front door, the visit being one of ceremony, she had taken her cousin round to the front street entrance and through the flower garden, Miss Molly was prepared to receive them. After a decent interval, long enough to suggest that she had not been watching their approach and was not over-eager about the visit, she answered the knock and admitted them into the parlour. Mr. Wayne was formally introduced and seated himself on the ancient haircloth sofa under the framed fashion plate while Mary B. sat by the open door and fanned herself with a palm-leaf fan. Miss Molly's impression of Wayne was favourable. His complexion was of a light brown, not quite so fair as Miss Molly would have preferred. But any deficiency in this regard, or in the matter of the stranger's features, which, while not unpleasing, leaned toward the broad mulatto type, was more than compensated in her eyes by very straight black hair, and as soon appeared a great facility of complimentary speech. On his introduction, Mr. Wayne bowed low assumed an air of great admiration, and expressed his extreme delight in making the acquaintance of so distinguished-looking a lady. "'You're flattering me, Mr. Wayne,' returned Miss Molly with a gratified smile. "'But you want to meet my daughter before you commence throwing bouquets. Excuse my leaving you. I'll go and fetch her.' She returned in a moment, followed by Rena. "'Mr. Wayne, allow me to introduce you to my daughter Rena.' Rena, this is Mary B.'s cousin, on a pappy's side, who's come up from Samson to get a school-teacher. Rena bowed gracefully. Wayne stared a moment, in genuine astonishment, and then bent himself nearly double, keeping his eyes fixed, meanwhile, upon Rena's face. He had expected to see a pretty yellow girl, but had been prepared for no such radiant vision of beauty as this which now confronted him. Does... "'Does you mean to say, Miss Walden, that, that this young lady is your own daughter?' he stammered, rallying his forces for action. "'Why not, Mr. Wayne?' asked Miss Molly, bridling with mock resentment. "'Do you mean to allow that she was changed in a cradle? Or is she too good-looking to be my daughter?' "'My dear Miss Walden, it'd be wasting words for me to say that there ain't no young lady too good-looking to be your daughter.' but you're looking so young yourself that I'd rather take her for your sister. Yes, rejoined Miss Molly with animation. There ain't many years between us. I was rather young myself when she was born. And moreover, Wayne went on, it takes me a minute or so to get my mind used to thinking of Miss Rena as a colored young lady. I might have seen her a hundred times, and I'd have never dreamt but what she was a white young lady from one of the best families. Yes, Mr. Wayne, replied Miss Molly complacently. All three of my children was white, and one of them has been on the other side for many long years. Rena has been to school, and has traveled, and has had chances, better chances than anybody around here knows. She's just the lady I'm looking for to teach our school, rejoined Wayne, with emphasis. 
with her schooling and my recommend she can get a first-class certificate and draw forty dollars a month and a lady of her color can keep a lot of little niggers straighter than a darker lady could we just gotta have her to teach our school if we can get her rena's interest in the prospect of employment at her chosen work was so great that she paid little attention to wayne's compliments miss molly led mary b away to the kitchen on some pretext and left rena to entertain the gentleman she questioned him eagerly about the school and he gave the most glowing accounts of the elegant schoolhouse the bright pupils and the congenial society of the neighborhood he spoke almost entirely in superlatives and after making due allowance for what rena perceived to be a temperamental tendency to exaggeration she concluded that she would find in the school a worthy field of usefulness and in this polite and good-natured though somewhat wordy man a coadjutor upon whom she could rely in her first efforts for she was not overconfident of her powers which seemed to grow less as the way opened for their exercise do you think i'm competent to teach the school she asked of the visitor after stating some of her qualifications oh there's no doubt about it miss rena replied wayne who had listened with an air of great wisdom though secretly aware that he was too ignorant of letters to form a judgment you can teach the school all right and could if you didn't know half as much you won't have no trouble managing the children other if any of em gets unruly just call on me for help and i'll make em walk spanish i'm chairman of the school committee and i'll lamb to hide off of any scholar that don't behave you can trust me for that shows i'm a sittin here then said rena i'll undertake it and do my best i'm sure you'll not be too exacting yo best miss rena will be the best day is don't you worry enough fret dem niggers won't have no other teacher after they've once laid eyes on you i'll guarantee that there won't be no trouble not a bit well cousin molly said mary b to miss molly in the kitchen how does the plan strike you if rena's satisfied i am replied miss molly but you'd better say nothing about catching a bow or any such foolishness or else she'd be just likely not to go nigh sampson county before cousin jeff goes back confided mary b i'd like to give him a party but my house is too small i was wondering she added tentatively if i couldn't borrow your house surely mary b i'm interested in mr wayne on rena's account and it's as little as i can do to let you use my house and help you get things ready the date of the party was set for thursday night as wayne was to leave patesville on friday morning taking with him the new teacher the party would serve the double purpose of a compliment to the guest and a farewell to rena and it might prove the precursor the mother secretly hoped of other festivities to follow at some later date End of section 21. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.